Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. My mind, you just wake up and go rake. All right, hold on a second. I've just been told that uh, Lucas Giolito has been traded to the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, breaking by Jeff Passan. The Angels are finalizing a deal to acquire Lucas Giolito and right-handed reliever Ronaldo Lopez from the White Sox. Uh, actually, it's official. The White Sox just announced it. For catcher Edgar Cuero and left-hander Kai Bush, two top prospects, sources tell ESPN, but actually the White Sox have just put out a press release. Um, there it is. Follow at Wake and Rake Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'm kind of a big deal. Here's Danny and Will. Lucas Giolito heading over to the Los Angeles Angels. No, the Angels are not selling. They're keeping Otani. They are going along with their team. They're going to ride this thing to the end. And I freak love it. Episode 94, Wake and Rake podcast. Got about four or five days left until the August 1st MLB trade deadline. We talked on the last episode about how excited we were about some big names potentially being included in this year's trade deadline. In years past, you know, Max Scherzer a couple of years ago being traded over to the Dodgers. Last year, Juan Soto, big blockbuster trade between the Nationals and the Padres. And in this year, there were potentially some big names going to be involved, like Otani, obviously. Otani is the biggest name uh, in baseball today, and he has his impending free agency this coming off season. And the Angels found themselves in fourth place in the division. They were out seemingly out of a wild card spot just two weeks ago. Well, now all of a sudden things have changed. Things happen fast in Major League Baseball. And now the Angels are buying. And I freaking love it, man. Like the Angels, you have two of the best players of this generation, Otani and Trout. You put that together with a solid core behind them with guys like Renfro and you bring up Zach Nito, who's been balling. And then you have Moustakas who's been hitting. He's been a nice acquisition since they got him mid season. And they have a decent rotation with Sandoval. Reed Detmers is making strides. Griffin canning. The bullpen has been a little shaky, but that's something you could, you, you could kind of share up in, in the, um, at the trade deadline. So the angels now acquire you Lucas Giolito to add to that already pretty solid rotation. So now you're going to have a rotation for the angels that includes Shohei Otani, Lucas Giolito, Reed Detmers, Patrick Sandoval, and a Griffin Canning. It's a pretty solid top five right there for the angels. And I don't think the angels are done. If the angels are indeed going to go down with their ship or up with their ship, you know, like obviously they're going for it and they're four games out of a wild card spot now. Maybe they just continue to ride these hot waves, man. And and I, I love what Paramanasian uh, and that Angels front office is doing. You have Trout, you have Otani, you have this core. Go for it, man. Go for it. Nobody, nobody knows what the future holds. Nothing is guaranteed. Otani doesn't know where he's going in the offseason. The Angels don't know where he's going in the offseason. We have no idea what's happening with Trout and his career and the injuries he's suffered. We have no idea what's going to happen in the future. The only thing guaranteed for the Angels is that you're going to have Otani under team control for another couple months. And I know that logic and uh, the scouts would probably say, like, you probably want to give up Otani. The, the 
projections are saying the Angels are unlikely to make the postseason. Screw the projections, man. Go for it. How many opportunities as a team are you going to have to have a generational player like Otani um, it, in a franchise's history? Real. I, I mean, this is this could be your one opportunity to have the best player um, in the league. It, it doesn't come around very often. Go for it. I love what the Angels are doing. Lucas Giolito joining the rotation. What a block. That could be the biggest blockbuster trade of the deadline. And there's a reason I say this. I mentioned on the last episode, I thought there was going to be a ton of activity. Soto, Otani, uh, Dylan Seas maybe. But news has now come in. Dylan Seas not going to be available. Shohei Otani, not going to be available. Padres, not trading Blake Snell or Juan Soto. Likely not trading any of those guys. The Padres and the Mets don't seem to want to sell uh, completely. They still have some of those guys under contract. The Padres still have Soto for another year and a half. Uh, Snell is going to be a free agent. Uh, but with the Padres payroll, with the Mets payroll, they're still holding on to a sliver of hope that they can maybe make a postseason push. But just because the big superstars might not be available doesn't mean we're not going to get a lot of activity at the deadline because we've seen in years prior with this new expanded playoff that you have a lot more teams involved now. So there's that third wild card spot, so you have more teams involved. So you look at the MLB standings right now. You got Baltimore leading the East, Texas leading the West, the Twins leading the Central. And after that, in the American League wild card. The Tampa Bay Rays, Houston Astros, and Toronto Blue Jays that are the top three wildcard spots as of Wednesday night. Boston Red Sox just swept the Atlanta Braves. Very impressive series for them. They're now only one and a half games back. They appear to be buyers now at the deadline, even though they just got rid of Kike Hernandez and sent him off to back to Los Angeles to the Dodgers. The Yankees are two and a half back. The aforementioned Angels are four back. The Mariners, four and a half back. Cleveland, five and a half. How about the National League? Atlanta Braves have the best record in Major League Baseball. They lead the East. Dodgers are in first place in the West. Brewers uh, shut out the Reds yet again. They've shut out the Reds three straight games. Devin Williams is uh, damn near throwing a a no-hitter against the Reds this year. He's thrown eight and two-thirds and hasn't given up a hit against Cincinnati this year. Devin Williams. Uh, Brewers lead the Central. And then the top of the wild card race is the Giants, Phillies, and Reds in that order. Arizona Diamondbacks and Miami Marlins are both a half game out. The Cubs are playing good baseball. They're four and a half games out. And the Padres just lost the series to the Pirates. They're six and a half. Mets are seven and a half. So you're going to have a lot of teams in it. In the National League, you have about seven. Uh, You can make the argument that there are eight teams involved in the wildcard race. As for the American League, probably about seven teams, uh, maybe even eight teams deep in the wildcard race. So that's a total of 16 plus the division leaders, which is another six. You're, you're looking at about 20 teams that could be buying at the deadline or at least engaged in activity. And again, superstars might not be on the move. This might not be your Max Scherzer, Juan Soto, Carlos Beltran, you know, big time blockbuster trades. But what I want to focus on today is the under the radar players that could be moved because we see this every year where uh, a, a pinch runner, you know, a, a speedy outfielder, fourth outfielder, a utility guy ends up paying massive dividends 
in the postseason. Your Cody Ross is back in 20, what was that, 20, is that 2010 for the Giants or either 2012? So I'm focusing today on under the radar players. And uh, I have a list of about 20 guys that I want to discuss that are either going to be free agents at the end of this year or going to be free agents at the end of the next year or have been floated in rumors and could potentially be on the move. So let's transition into under the radar moves. Charlie Blackman for the Colorado Rockies. Now he's been hurt most of this season and his numbers have really been on the decline for the past couple of years, an aging outfielder. And you wonder what his splits look like away from Coors field this year in limited action. He still has a 769 OPS, a 0.2 wins above replacement. That's not all that impressive, but Charlie Blackman's a guy that rakes off a right-handed pitchers. Uh, let's take a look at his splits, actually. Yeah, so Blackman this year actually has an 818 OPS in 277 batting average against right-handed pitchers. That includes five homers, 25 ribbies. And it, again, it's limited action of 55 games. In his career, Blackman against right-handed pitching has an 848 OPS and a 292 batting average. So, there's still something left in the tank for Charlie Blackman and the Colorado Rockies have come out and said that they're likely going to be very active at the deadline. Their bullpen, especially in Colorado. I said this before the year, Colorado strangely had a pretty decent bullpen com coming into this year. A lot of those guys are on either one, two year deals or, uh, or are, are coming up at the expiration date of their contracts and the Rockies are in place to make a lot of moves. Maybe Charlie Blackman is that veteran fourth outfielder that you want on a squad could serve as a, like I said, a fourth outfielder pinch hitter, not great defensively, but could provide a boost uh, offensively for a team. Zach Granke is another veteran that you just want on your squad. A guy that has it loads of postseason experience. Another guy whose numbers are down, of course, like his velocity's down, but he's still a strike thrower. Um, he's a guy that can mix up timing. He's a guy that has a one in 10 record, but just not good. A five, four, uh, five, four, zero ERA. You wonder if his FIP would be better. Um, or his ERA would be better when you look at his FIP. Um, it, it deems that his ERA should be a little bit lower, um, high fours, whereas his ERA is actually mid fives. So with a little bit better defense better team no offense kansas city maybe zach granke could fare better a guy that could potentially serve as a bridge bullpen arm for a postseason squad thinking maybe the dodgers could certainly use that uh, a team that's been really hurt hit hard by injuries pitching wise from a veteran starter to a veteran catcher omar narvaez narvaez has been delegated or relegated to a Backup role with the New York Mets this year. Once they called up one of their top prospects and Francisco Alvarez, who's been an absolute stud, by the way, out in Queens. The Mets have had a pretty atrocious season. Uh, one sliver of light is what what Alvarez has been doing, the energy he's been bringing. Man, I, it, he's had a really strong rookie campaign. Everybody's been talking about the Ellie De La Cruz, Corbin Carroll's for National Rookie of the Year. Even Bobby Miller got thrown in there at one point. But uh, Francisco Alvarez, man, that he's a real deal. But the point of this subject, no more Narvaez. Uh, injured most of the season. And then once Alvarez came up, uh, like I said, Narvaez got kicked to a, re a reserve role. 45 at-bats this year. So, again, limited, limited action. But a year ago, he put up a 1.1 wins above replacement. 
two years ago in 2021, he had a 2.8 output wins above replacement. His framing numbers have always been above average to average. Uh, everybody's looking for a veteran catcher to handle a staff midseason. Houston Astros have have known to do that last year with like Christian Vasquez. Um, Omar Narvaez would certainly fit that. And a guy that was an all-star three, four years ago, a guy that has some pop hit 21 homers in that all-star campaign when he was with Seattle. So Omar, Omar Narvaez could be an option for a backup catcher role. The Oakland A's have a plethora of pieces that they could get rid of. It's just a matter of what the value and what the appetite is for a lot of these players like Brent Rooker, for example, um, Ramon Laureano, the A's would love to ship him off as well. Um, but he hasn't been the same player that he you know, was when back in the A's golden age, back in 21, 20, uh, 19, um, you wonder if they want to get rid of like Shane, uh, Shane Peterson and Aletimus Diaz. And the problem is, is that just nobody in Oakland is playing all that well. Seth, Seth Brown was injured earlier this year. He was a potential candidate. Paul Blackburn in the starting rotation. The A's have a lot of different pieces. Maybe the most established one that they're going to be able to get rid of is a Trevor May. Trevor May has been their closer this year. His velocity on his fastball is up near his career average at 95 miles an hour. So the velocity is still there. The breaking stuff has been good. Against right-handed batters this year, he's been phenomenal. 185 batting average against right-handed batters this year for Trevor May. One thing that does concern me with Trevor May is you think, okay, he plays for Oakland. His defense probably isn't that great behind him. His 4.73 ERA probably isn't actually uh, a depiction of how his season has gone. You look at his fielding independent pitching, which takes into account defense. It's at 6.43 this year. So that's a bit concerning. So velocity is good. Breaking stuff is good. ERA is decent. Opponent batting average, especially though, against right-handed batters, that's the limelight here. So a team such as the Philadelphia Phillies, Atlanta Braves, hello, Trevor May may be available, certainly will be available. The Baltimore Orioles, they already have Yannier Cano and Felix Batista, but they would love to add to their bridge pieces in the bullpen. Texas Rangers are always looking for a bullpen help. They already added Arlis Chapman. They would love to get some more depth. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays, really any team that's still in contention is looking for bullpen help. Trevor May could potentially be a nice piece to add. There's a couple of first basemen out in Pittsburgh. G-Man Choi has been hurt most of the season, but he has five homers in his first 18 games this year. So he's still got some pop in his bat. Had some really good years as a platoon guy in Tampa Bay. G-Man Choi in his career against right-handed pitchers. 807 OPS and a 351 on base percentage. That's going to get it done. He has a career 200 batting average against lefty. So this is strictly a platoon option, not at all an everyday player. You look at potential teams that could use a lefty first baseman to add for some depth. I wonder if the Miami Marlins could get involved. For them, they have two right-handed first basemen and Yuli Gurriel and Garrett Cooper. Milwaukee, similarly, Milwaukee loves to platoon players. I wonder if Houston or Minnesota could get involved here too. Uh, Houston obviously has Jose Abreu as their starting first baseman. But last year, they had Yuli Gurriel already, um, but they added Trey Mancini. 
who was a first baseman and tried to add a little bit more pop there. Maybe Jima and Choi could give Jose Abreu a little bit of relief against right-handed pitching. Uh, and I mentioned Minnesota. Minnesota has struggled offensively all season long. Their strikeout numbers are through the roof. They really have had zero consistency within their lineup. Maybe Jima and Choi could be an option for them. I mentioned how Colorado has a, a laundry list of bullpen arms that are going to be available. Brent Suter might be having his best season as a big leaguer, and that's despite his velocity being one of the lowest in baseball and being one of the lowest of his entire career. Brent Suter this year has a 2.62 earn run average, and that's, by the way, despite having a home field of Coors Field. He's actually a reverse splits guy, too. Against right-handed batters this year, opponents are hitting just 196 against Brent Suter. Brent Suter's averaging 90, or excuse me, not even, not even 90. Brent Suter's averaging about 87 miles per hour on his fastball. He doesn't throw anything straight, mostly cutters, two-seam movement. He really prides his entire arsenal on getting, just powering his way on the inner half against right-handed batters. He does not allow right-handed batters to get extended, and that's hard to do. When you only throw 87, 88 miles per hour consistently, but Brent Suter is a guy that can spot up with the best of them. He can locate uh, with some of the best. He's like a lefty Greg Maddox out of the bullpen these days, kind of, if you will. No no disrespect to Greg Maddox, but Brent Suter could be a really nice option for a team looking for a left-handed relief pitcher. Baltimore, certainly, they're more right-handed dominant in their bullpen with Cano and Batista. Suter would be a great fit for them. The Minnesota Twins already made a move for a reliever on their end. They're a little bit more right-hand dominant with Floro. They just acquired Dylan Floro from Miami in exchange for Jorge Lopez, their closer, and John Duran. He's a righty, so maybe he could be a fit for Minnesota. I wonder if the Astros could use a lefty. What's their depth chart looking like? So obviously they got Presley in the back end. They got Hector Neris. And they have, they have like Framber Valdez in the starting rotation. But yeah, this is interesting. So this was actually a, a trend last year. To, or I remember this being a conversation point last year is that the Houston Astros didn't have much left-handed uh, power, really, or, or many left-handed options in the bullpen. And they were facing Bryce Harper in the World Series. And there was a question of how the Astros were going to be able to handle Bryce Harper because they didn't have any left-handed relief arms. Similarly, this year, they have one left-handed pitcher in their bullpen, Harper. Uh, excuse me, Parker Mushniski. All right, Parker. Never heard of you, my guy, but congrats on being the only lefty in the Astros bullpen. That would be a great fit, Brent Suter in Houston. I would certainly give them a left-hand option. Chris Stratton's been a good reliever, a solid reliever for a few years now. Did not pan out as a starter. Was one of the higher prospects with San Francisco when he first was coming up. It was part of some bigger trades, L.A., Pittsburgh. And then once he got over to Pittsburgh, he became a relief pitcher full-time. And this year, another reverse splits guy, Chris Stratton. Left-handed batters this year are hitting 193 against Chris Stratton. He has allowed zero home runs to left-handed batters this year in that St. Louis Cardinals bullpen. The Angels could use some bullpen help. I wonder if Chris Stratton could be an option for them. Obviously, they have Estevez, their all-star, as their closer. Uh, but then they have Matt Moore and Loop lefties in the bullpen. 
certainly Chris Stratton could be an option for a team like the Angels that are now buyers. Now, a lot of teams are always looking for some outfield help, right? Some fourth outfielder, um, maybe a platoon guy, maybe a guy that can pinch hit in certain spots. Maybe they need a lefty. The Washington, uh, excuse me, the Washington Nationals have a couple options potentially in Corey Dickerson and Dominic Smith. Uh, Dominic Smith has shown zero power at the dish, five home runs, 97 games. The splits aren't all that spectacular, so he's not like this major platoon guy. He's not a G-Man Choi necessarily, um, but he's a guy that has a, a career 251 batting average, on-base percentage up over 300. He has an OPS uh, throughout his career up over 720. So it could be a formidable option, a formidable bench piece if somebody's looking for some depth at the first base position. And then Corey Dickerson. Dickerson's been shipped off like left and right, like every single, seemingly, like every single trade deadline. Let's see, Colorado, he spent a few years at. Then he went to Tampa, shipped off to Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Miami, and most recently, Toronto in 2021, St. Louis in 2022, and the Nationals in 2023. Corey Dickerson is going to be the, uh, I think he could have the rainbow jersey swap. Here, because he's been with, let's see, one, two, three, five, six, eight different teams in just about a 10-year career for Corey Dickerson. So expect Corey Dickerson to be moved if history repeats itself. Jason Shreve is a left-handed reliever for the Detroit Tigers. You might remember him from his days with the New York Yankees. Does not have spectacular stuff, mostly low to mid-90s fastball. But again, a lot of teams are looking to play certain roles upon players. Maybe you're looking for a lefty-on-lefty matchup. Shashin Shreve against left-handed batters this season. Opponents have a 290 on base percentage. 23 strikeouts and 60 at-bats left-handers against Chasen Shreve this year. ERA is not great. 4.82. Opponent batting averages, not great. But 23 strikeouts, 60 at-bats against left-handed batters Chasen Shreve this year. That's a strikeout percentage. They're 30 up over 30%. Anything over 30% is considered elite. A 30% strikeout percentage against left-handers. Chase and Shreve could be an option for Los Angeles Dodgers, maybe. The Boston Red Sox. Um, the Houston Astros need a left-handed bullpen arm. Could certainly be a good fit for the Houston Astros. I don't know if anybody's going to be able to, I don't know if anybody is going to be willing to pick up the no, let me, let me phrase it like this, actually. Nobody is going to be willing to pick up the contract that Patrick Corbin has with him. A guy that's going to be a free agent, not after this year, but after next year. A guy who has a $23.3 million paycheck coming his way in 2024. Again, nobody is going to pitch, pick up Patrick Corbin's contract. However... The Nationals now are seemingly coming up on the cusp, coming up on the turn of trying to allow their prospects to get more and more playing time. Maybe that rebuild is starting to turn a corner. The Nationals are going to want their young studs to get play time. And Patrick Corbin is not going to be part of that foundation and that young core that's going to turn things around in Washington and become contenders once more. So Washington may want to eat the contract of Patrick Corbin and just shed a little bit of money. Maybe another team pays the veteran minimum and you get a prospect in return for Patrick Corbin. 
And here's the interesting. It, it, so this is less about money because either way, Patrick Corbin is going to get $23 million from the, the Washington Nationals. Now, the Washington Nationals could say, look, maybe we pay him $20 million. We ship him off and we get some prospects in return. And now we're not paying him $23 million next year. We're only paying twenty, And then we get some prospects in return. It, it's, it's, it's a win-win. For the Nationals, and it allows your young your young guys to get more innings and see them develop as the season moves on. And here's another interesting note about Patrick Corbin, because you're thinking, well, Patrick Corbin is not the starting pitcher that he once was. What team is going to want to acquire a starting pitcher with that many innings under his belt and a guy with a 5.01 ERA on the season? Patrick Corbin, when he was in the bullpen for the Washington Nationals, after those first couple outings, um, was really solid. So that this is the 2019 postseason when the Nationals hoisted the trophy against the Dodgers coming out of the bullpen, his first outing, atrocious. 0.2 innings, six earned, was unable to get out of the sixth inning. And then they tried it again. Came out of the bullpen in game five of the NLDS against the Dodgers, went one and a third, three strikeouts. He came in and, and, and collected one out, uh, in the NLCS in game two out of the bullpen. And then he came in relief twice in the World Series in 2019 against the Houston Astros. The first one being one inning, two strikeouts, one hit, zero runs. Then he came out of the bullpen in game seven of the World Series where he went three innings, three strikeouts, two hits. So Patrick Corbin may not be a starting rotation piece anymore, but he has a history of being a decent bullpen arm in the postseason. I, I understand that Patrick Corbin's not the same pitcher that he once was in 2019 with the Washington Nationals, but maybe he could provide a boost as a bullpen arm. Tim Linskin was not the same pitcher he was in 2012 when the San Francisco Giants ended up hoisting the trophy. They put Linsicum as their bullpen bridge guy and ended up being a, a major boost for them. Maybe Patrick Corbin still has a little bit juice in that arm as a bullpen guy uh, for somebody uh, maybe the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, the Texas Rangers liked using Dane Dunning in kind of a hybrid role, a, a bridge relief arm. He was starting games or he was coming in early out of the bullpen. Maybe Patrick Corbin can come in similarly because Dane Dunning has since been moved to the uh, starting rotation role permanently now. Maybe Patrick Corbin can serve as a bridge guy for the Texas Rangers. Another Colorado Rocky and Daniel Bard. And this one's tricky. Daniel Bard has been openly discussed in uh or he has openly discussed his battles with mental anxiety middlebrooks on this pod my my co-host has was teammates with him and he's been on record saying that daniel bard is one of the toughest teammates he's ever uh, been, ex been exposed to and played with and daniel bard is going to be a free agent after the 2024 season he's dealt with yips he's dealt with mental anxiety this season and 36 and a third innings pitch. He has 31 base on balls. Daniel Bard does. And on the flip side of that, however, 36 and a third innings pitch, 32 strikeouts in a 175 opponent batting average. Daniel Bard has a 2.03 ERA this season, despite having 31 walks and 36 innings pitch. So as long as Daniel Bard is throwing strikes, Nobody's hitting them. 
175 opponent batting average. Nobody's hitting Daniel Bard, especially not right-handed pitchers. And this is all taking place in Coors Field in Colorado, the best hitting ballpark in baseball. I don't know if Daniel Bard will be a trade piece because there's a question of whether he could handle that transition. But wouldn't Texas be a great fit for Daniel Bard in their bullpen? They have Chapman as their closer, as a left-handed option, but they could use Daniel Bard as a potential setup option. That's what he's been doing mostly in Colorado this season. A Daniel Bard or Aldis Chapman one-two punch in the bullpen for the Texas Rangers going down the stretch. That's tough. That's tough. Jordan Lyles might be one of the most interesting cases in Major League Baseball. A guy with the fourth highest ERA among qualified starters since 2019. But Jordan Lyles is amongst the leaders in games started, too. So, yeah, he doesn't get many guys out, but he started 118 games in that same stretch since 2019. That's 13th most in baseball. Fourth highest ERA, 13th most games started. So clearly there's a desire and a value for a Jordan Lyles, a guy that doesn't have strikeout stuff. In fact... There have been 763 pitchers who have started 200 or more games in Major League Baseball history. Only one of those 763 pitchers have a negative wins above replacement output. That is Jordan Lyles. Negative 2.1 career wins above replacement for Jordan Lyles. But this is the guy you want. Thursday afternoon game when your bullpen's depleted, Jordan Lyles will likely be traded. He's on the Kansas City Royals right now. Royals are looking to unload. Maybe they get a prospect. Maybe they get a, a, a mid to low you know, range prospect for Jordan Lyles. That's probably best case scenario for the Kansas City Royals. It's either that or they're paying Jordan Lyles for another year next year. More Washington Nationals. Trevor Williams. He's bounced around a bit too in recent days. Originally with the Pittsburgh Pirates, Cubs, Mets, and then this year with the Nationals. Last year with the Mets, nine starts. Uh, 30 total games, mostly out of the bullpen, a 3.21 ERA with the Mets last season. And then he's going to be a free agent after 2024. So if you acquire Trevor Williams, you have him for this year, plus one more. And this year with the Nationals, a 30.3 whiff percentage against his slider, a 28.6 whiff percentage against his sweeper. His best two pitches are his two breaking balls. Maybe the Los Angeles Angels. Maybe the Boston Red Sox. Philadelphia Phillies. The Cincinnati Reds. It's the first time I've mentioned that team, but uh, the Reds could... The Reds, they're not a team that wants to sacrifice their future. They're very similar to who the Baltimore Orioles were last year in 2022. So the Baltimore Orioles kind of came out of nowhere. And once they brought up Adley Rutschman and started winning games... All of a sudden, they found themselves in the thick of a wild card race. But Baltimore also had all these young studs and Gunnar Henderson. Um, I, I mentioned Adley, um, Grayson Rodriguez. They didn't want to sacrifice their future and go all out for this 2022 campaign. And so Baltimore pretty much stood pat. And in fact, they actually sent off uh, Trey Mancini and they were more sellers than they were buyers. A lot of people were upset with Baltimore's direction last year's trade deadline. Probably going to be a different story this year with Baltimore, but that's what Cincinnati is this year. Nobody expected the Cincinnati Reds to be in the position that they're in here in July as we uh, as we 
inch near the trade deadline. Nobody expected the Cincinnati Reds to be fighting for an NL Central crown, and yet here they are. And so the Cincinnati Reds are playing with house money right now because if the season ended today, no matter really what, no matter what happens to the Cincinnati Reds from here on out, it's been a pretty successful season when you consider what their young guys have been able to do and how they have developed. So Cincinnati's probably not going to make any splashy moves. I wouldn't expect, but they could certainly make some minor moves. I mentioned Jordan Lyles. Maybe he could be an option for them as, as some uh, a boost to their starting rotation. And then Trevor million, uh, excuse me, Trevor Williams out of the bullpen could add some depth for them. Victor Robles back to the Washington nationals. He's kind of found himself on the outside looking in. Still an above average defender, but Robles has never been a 20 plus home run guy. He's never really had a high batting average, high OPS, but a really good arm out in the outfield. He's, has, he's in the 97th percentile in arm strength. He is the second most outs above average since uh, 2019, which is when he made his MLB debut. Everybody's looking for a defensive uh, upgrade. For late in innings, late in games, come postseason time, Victor Robles could certainly fill that void. And he's a guy that still has speed. He's in the 80th percentile in uh, foot speed this year. So he's still got speed. He still has a glove, still has an arm. Victor Robles, expect him to be on the move, especially for the Washington Nationals that are looking to give guys like Lane Thomas and Alex Call more and more playtime out in their outfield. More Kansas City Royals, Ryan Yarbrow. He's a guy that came up from Tampa, doesn't throw all that hard necessarily, but against left-handed batters this year, opponents have a 222 batting average. Uh, Yarbrough could be an option either as a hybrid starter, maybe Milwaukee. I expect Milwaukee to maybe look there. Um, they love those hybrid guys, like, like an Aaron Ashby type. It's still up in the air whether the New York Mets are going to completely sell off and kind of restart. Expectations are the New York Mets are not going to get rid of Scherzer, Verlander for a number of different reasons. The, the high contracts, the, the ages of those two guys. Um, the Mets are too deep to to really um, sell the farm right now. But they could sell off on some of their role players. David Robertson is going to be a free agent at year's end. And Daniel Vogelbach is going to be a free agent after next year. Vogelbach's been, he's made his career hitting off of uh, right-handed pitching. He's been a platoon machine, a 732 OPS versus right-handed pitching this year, and that's despite really having a down year this year. David Robertson has filled in nicely for an injured Edwin Diaz. Robertson this year has a 1.7 wins above replacement. He's 4-2 and two with a 2.05 ERA, and he's got 14 saves. So the Mets have had a pretty atrocious season overall. David Robertson probably their most valuable piece at the deadline when you consider they're not going to move off of Scherzer or Orlando or any of their big-time names out in Queens. Nicky Lopez, very, very under the radar. A guy that's been a defensive stud for years. Got completely snubbed out of a gold glove a couple years ago, back in 2019, I think it was. 95th percentile and outs above average for the Kansas City Royals this year. He's going to be a free agent after the 2025 season. Another guy that's kind of outside looking in on, on the infield. Obviously, they have Bobby Witt Jr. at the shortstop position for them. They've had guys like Michael Massey and Michael Garcia. And Nicky Lopez has more so been like a utility, good defensive utility player. Does not hit for power whatsoever. Zero home runs this year in 65 games. But a guy that can play all around the infield 
and could be a really nice defensive replacement, uh, defensive substitution late in games. One last Colorado Rockies bullpen arm, Brad Hand. Now, Brad Hand is not exactly the dominant closer that he once was, but he was an all-star with the with the Padres and was a closer with the, the Guardians or, or the Cleveland Indians at the time, New York Mets. Um, but, I mean, this year he's mostly served as the bridge into the ninth inning. He's mostly pitched the seventh and eighth innings out in Colorado. Right-handed hitters are feasting off of they have an opponent OPS near 1,000. That's not good. So at this point in his career, Brad Hand is mostly a lefty-lefty specialist. Lefties are hitting 499. Or excuse me, lefties have a 499 OPS against Brad Hand this year. So he's still getting it done against lefties. Colorado could just sell their entire bullpen and get a ton of prospects back. I mean, that's what I expect to see. The last guy I have here on my list is another Pittsburgh Pirate first baseman and Carlos Santana. A veteran guy that you want in your lineup, a guy that is an on-base machine. One of the more interesting stats that I've found about Santana since making his debut uh, or his first full season, I should say, in 2011, he's reached base 2,763 times. That's more than Mike Trout. That's more than Bryce Harper. In fact, that's fourth most in all of baseball. The only guys that have reached base more than Carlos Santana, Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, and Joey Votto. This year, Santana is with Pittsburgh. He's hit 235, 12 homers in 94 games. So there's still some pop there. His his OPS is up over 730. Expect maybe Minnesota, the Twins, to... uh, to make some calls on Santana, maybe looking for a left-handed first baseman. That pretty much does it for under-the-radar players. If you're looking for some bigger names and some potential destinations, on our last episode, we discussed the perfect fits. We played a little matchmaker. So head over to our episode 93 of the Wake and Rake podcast if you're looking for more. Regardless whether there's big-time blockbusters or not, I'm looking forward to this trade deadline. I think there's going to be number of different moves mostly smaller names that's my prediction but i think there's going to be a lot of them a lot of bullpen arms are going to be on the move a lot of fourth outfielders a lot of depth pieces a lot of platoon players that's just where baseball is at nowadays i thank you guys for tuning into the wake and rake podcast episode 94 part of the believe network i'm going to get middlebrooks on a podcast here soon i know that's the question you're asking but until then enjoy these next couple days we'll be back talking trade deadline more as we approach August 1st, 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. Until then, party people, peace out.